0: Welcome to this episode of Pen to Paper Press Podcast. I'm Cindy Coaches. I enjoy talking with best-selling authors, writers, editors, publishers, and creative souls about the process of developing our stories to completing our works of art. Each episode is an opportunity for us to explore mindsets, pearls of wisdom, and the experiences that began our journey as an author from the moment we put pen to paper. It is an honor to have Dr. Robert Saul in the studio. Bob has been guiding the physical, behavioral, and mental care of children for over 40 years. He is the author of My Children's Children, Raising Young Cho- Citizens in the Age of Columbine, All About Children, Thinking Developmentally, Nourishing Wellness in Childhood to Promote Lifelong Health, Conscious Parenting Using the Parental Awareness Threshold. Welcome, Bob. It's good to have you here.
1: Well, thank you. It's my, my pleasure. It's, um, I, uh, <clears throat> I bring a unique perspective, I think, to the whole process of trying to, to be an author uh, and ha- having uh, come at it a different way as a professional. But I'm glad to share some of that journey with you today.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And prior to our interview, before we got online, I spent a little bit of time on your website. And uh, the last paragraph of your blog post titled, Forgiveness, Field of Dream Style, it caught my attention. And I want to take a moment to acknowledge what you wrote. Forgiveness is essential as we strive to improve ourselves in the lives of our fellow citizens. Let's pay attention to the signs that can provide the guidepost for us to recognize our current situation and make the positive change. This change, forgiving ourselves first, must occur before we make a difference. That's beautiful. Forgiveness of self and and others is so important.
1: Well, that's been a significant part of my journey uh, in terms of learning Forgiveness, learning about forgiveness, practicing and and trying to weave that into sort of the, the, all, the all my writing narratives.
0: Mm-hmm. So one thing I wanted to ask, and, and as I mentioned during our pre-interview conversation, a lot of my co- a lot of my questions come intuitively. And this was one of the very first ones that I wrote. Down and it is what occurred in your life that motivated your decision to begin writing
1: books. There actually was an epiphany. Um, okay. Let me go back. For, let me go back for just a minute. To I mean, I you know graduated from medical school, did pediatric training, actually did medical genetics training, um, and got once I got into practice was very involved with professional uh, and kept very busy doing that. Um, after about 15 years, 13, 15 years, uh, realized that I wasn't paying back to the community like I, like I should be that I, yes, I was, I was thought I was being a very good physician, caring for patients and doing all those things, but that there needed to be a more global sense of my involvement in the, in the community. At the same time, This was back in 1993, I remember very specifically. I went to a talk and a healthcare futurist said 12 words that have had a profound impact on me ever since. He said, for anything that happens in your community, think, I am the problem, I am the solution, I am the resource. Uh, That was just, uh, wow. I mean, that means that whatever's going on, I need to take ownership in it. I can't be their problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, It can't be, they've got to fix it. No, it's got to be, I've got to be, I've got to take ownership in it also. And for me to solve the problem, to be the solution, I need to devote my resources to it. So it took me actually a couple months to internalize that enough to, to go to the end of the community and say, Put me in. I'm ready to do mm-hmm. some work. What What can I do as a as more of a citizen than as a, as a physician? And I'd like to think that as a physician, I had maybe a little bit of a bully pulpit that I could <laughs> use to uh, use to uh, promote some stuff. Uh, and I was very involved. And then six years later, uh, Columbine hit. Mm. You know, two teenagers go into a school, murder 13 people and kill themselves. Could that happen in my community? Yes. And actually it had happened. Uh, What have I done to make a difference uh, with that? The obvious introspection was not enough. So I sat down and uh, put pencil to paper. Back then we used to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, And wrote an op-ed article for the local newspaper. Um, and it just sort of flowed. Um, I came up with what I considered to be the five steps to community improvement. And over the next 13 years, I wrote over 160 up ed articles for the local newspaper Wonderful. about those, uh, about those five steps to community improvement. Uh, and so that's, and I, as I would write those every week and I was, and I'll, get to the five steps in just a minute. As I would write those every week, I would realize that what it really is is I'm writing it for myself. This mm-hmm. is in some ways was sort of a journal entry. What do I need to be doing? What are the action steps for me? Um, and sometimes I used to let my wife read them um, and I stopped doing that. But sometimes I used to, uh, <laughs> ahead of time and she would say, oh, I don't know about this one. It sounds a little preachy. I said, I don't know. You don't understand who I'm preaching to. And she'd go, what? I'm preaching to myself, uh, and if it has some impact for others, great.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so that that really set me on that journey. So that was in late 1999, and those you know, and then I published a book sort of of all those op-ed articles uh, back in 2013. But but the five, if I could, I'd love to tell you sort of the five steps to community improvement because that sort of uh, it. Encompasses everything I'm sort of doing going forward. Of course, Uh,
0: of course. One,
1: learn to be the best parent you can be, and I choose those words carefully. Parenting is a lifelong journey of learning, Mm -hmm. Uh, so (laughs) learn to be. It's not. It's not innate. It's. It's not really intuitive. I think Uh, you, you really need to continue to learn the process to be the best parents you could be. Not everyone has the same set of circumstances. Right. Uh, so uh, it's easy for me to sit in a pediatric office and tell parents what they should be doing. They might not have the res- the financial resources, the socioeconomic resources, what the family resources necessary to do some of those things. So we, my job is to help nurture that process for them so they could be the best parent they could be. Um, number two was get involved. So that's, that's intuitive with I am the problem, I am the solution, I am the resource. Um, number three was stay involved. I think those are two different things. It's easy sometimes to get involved, yes. um, su- sustaining that involvement, uh, because things will change. So you have to sort of uh, adapt with that. Number four is probably the most intuitive of all of these. Uh, love for fellow love <coughs> for your fellow man um yet it's the most difficult right now uh in terms of our polarized uh society uh, yes. we've sort of we've sort of lost track of that and then number five was forgiveness, and I think that's the toughest one
0: it is tough uh, it is uh that is one of the tougher ones.
1: Um, I have to admit those, those from Maury Schwartz's words from the uh, Tuesdays with Maury. If you've ever read that book. Yep. Uh, um, <laughs> and, uh, one of the significant takeaways from that book was, uh, forgive yourself first for what you're thinking or what you've been doing or what you uh, haven't been doing. Mm-hmm. Forgive others and do it now. Yeah. Uh, and, and the whole point about forgiveness is it, is it, Again, that's a real journey also. I mean, your four year old wax your two year old and you tell the four year old to tell him you tell the two year old you're sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> you know, that's, that's an, that's an apology, but hopefully that gets different by the time the child's 14, 24, 44, 84. So we've hopefully learned to, to modulate and improve our ability, um, to forgive ourselves, to forgive others. And do it now, but that uh, you know we will be a uh, we will be in and out of of that process. It's it's very it's very difficult uh, at times. I mm-hmm. mean, I've read a lot about um, the um, uh, genocide in Rwanda. You know, where hundreds of thousands of people were murdered by their fellow countrymen, um, and the process of forgiveness in those communities as they've had to release some of those murderers back into the community because they just didn't have enough jail space or, or the truth and reconciliation commission in, in uh, South Africa. These are, these are difficult processes, but if we're going to move on in our lives, it's so important. And I'll say one other thing about forgiveness, because, um, before we get to some of the other books is there's, we really need to be thinking about social or communal forgiveness also. Yes. Um, the, uh, the American Medical Association some years past did not allow black physicians to be a part of the, of the organization. Okay. Um, Yeah. And they, they subsequently changed that. Um, And the easy thing for the, for the, the folks to say is, well, it wasn't me. Those other people in the past did it. But about 15 plus years ago, they wrote an article uh, admitting their organizational faults <clears throat> and saying, yes, it wasn't me, but it was us. And that is so important as we go forward. Cause I think it help us, helps us set our individual and group moral compasses, reset them going mm-hmm. forward. Um, so social forgiveness is, is so important. Again, <clears throat> it's so easy to say, well, it wasn't, it wasn't me, um, and that's particularly difficult in the South now because of the, the Confederacy and some of the Confederate uh, war symbols. It uh, wasn't me. They, they put them up there. But, you know, it's, if, it's, if it should change, then we should be a pro- part of that process of change. So, so those were the five steps that I published that in the first book. Uh, my children's children raising young citizens in the age of Columbine because the to me one of the things I think we've lost track of is being citizens um, that is so we, citizen people that care about each other care for each other empathize understand and are willing to do what's necessary for the commu- for the common good Um and so that's what I that's the whole point of the the first book
0: it's been a wild ride these last handful of years in in regards to that, and and it's interesting how our conversation kind of went from forgiveness in in a small to a very expansive arena. So, well,
1: that, that I mean that's, that, that 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 first book and that all those steps and especially forgiveness, the the children's book that came out of that it was really a sort of a, what I call an atypical children's book because mm-hmm. it's just a series of 13 illustrations about what you can be doing within your community uh, to be making a difference and within your, and within your family. Uh, it was beautifully illustrated by uh, uh, Jan Yelich Betts. Um, and it's, I call it good night moon with a message uh, because <laughs> it, uh, it's really just a picture book but there's, there's text in there that hopefully parents and children uh, alike can pull from that. Yeah. Subsequently, yeah. published a more scientific book with the uh, co-authored, I should say, uh, a more scientific book with the American Academy of Pediatrics. But then the last book about conscious parenting really does fold in about forgiveness and the whole aspect of being conscious of where you are in your parenting journey uh, and how we can we can do better and try to understand how we can get our children, we can understand what our children are doing and how we can, how our children can understand what we're doing as we all try to do better.
0: Yeah. And, and I was going to bring that, uh, that book up. It was something that I, I wanted to explore because I've raised two sons. I have three grandsons and, You know, that is something that is important to be aware of is how are we consciously parenting? Are we conscious of how we're parenting? (laughs) That is maybe more of an important question. Or are we just, you know, going with, uh, you know, with what's going on in our environment and not paying attention to how it affects our children and well, in my case, grandchildren. And so um, what are some of the um, the useful uh, signposts that we can use for, or that you discovered along the way in regards to this?
1: The, the, let me back up for just a second, because let me tell you how I got to the conscious parenting oh, concept.
0: Please. Yes, please. Uh, um,
1: uh, late in my career about eight years ago I, I took a job with a health system and being one of the leaders there they had a, a leadership forum called Conscious Leadership a, a fellow by the name of Jim Deathmer and his group out of Chicago a uh, very exciting sort of work uh, and I just gleaned a little bit out of that um, and that uh, when we are they have a what they call a line and when we're, when we're above the line we 're open we 're receptive we 're ready to learn when we 're below the line we 're closed we 're defensive and we 're always right
0: uh, <laughs> the, and, and, interesting interesting way of putting it, and that makes a lot of
1: sense and the whole point about conscious leadership is just knowing where you are i mean we 're all going to be above and below at times yeah I mean you know we've we 've all been in that meeting. You go saying to ourselves, when is this thing going to be over? This is so boring. I can't wait for this to be done. And so if you're conscious about that, you can either just decide to stay there or you can say, whoops, I need to try to change my responses and be more involved here. Um, And so you can go from being below the line to above the line. I think the same, that's, so I thought this is really what parenting to me is all about. Uh, being consciously aware of where you are in your relationship with your child uh, if and I use the for the line I use the parental awareness threshold uh, or for the for the football people in the crowd the acronym pat
0: <laughs> um,
1: the, um, when you're above the pat uh, you're open you're receptive you're ready to learn you're ready to listen to your child. when you're below you're closed you're defensive. And I, and I'm right, and because I said so. Uh, and the point is just knowing how to sort of if you're below the line, how to get above above the line, how to get above the parental awareness threshold. Um, and that's tough at times because mm-hmm. there's so many things, and that's why that's where uh, the the whole point of being consciously aware of where things are. There's lots of books that are written that are titled conscious parenting. Uh, Mine is purposely a little different. Mine is just a little short um, manual. Um, Not, not very big, uh, but it's meant to be digestible. Uh, It's meant to be, to be able to be returned to because I think the concepts are very, are very helpful. Um, the The point about conscious parenting is you, you wanna be able to always learn, always try to understand things and alter your responses accordingly. Um, and to sort of to help you in terms of the parental awareness threshold, whenever anything's happening, needs a parental response, pause, then assess and then choose. Now, you might choose the wrong response. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> we are um, human. <laughs> so in,
1: in, in, we all have. And mm-hmm. so you need to, it's, it's really two things. It's what happens in the moment. And then the ability to sort of look back in retrospect later, whether that's hours or days later, say, you know, what I did then, I really am not happy with how that turned out. Mm-hmm. So this is what I probably should do going forward if it's appropriate it might even be appropriate to issue an apology to to the child yes um but to to understand sort of where you are and again i use several and and that uh, several examples in the book one the one year old is sitting in the high chair throwing peas on the floor you know that just seems like such an innocent act i mean it's so cute they're you know they're playing <laughs> with their food <laughs> Uh, but for you, that might just be the straw that broke the camel's back. You've just had a long day. Uh, You know, there's been different, different things happening in your family. You've had, maybe you've had a struggle with your spouse or with your children or with work or whatever. uh, Mm -hmm. And your response to that might not be appropriate. So hopefully later you could say, okay, that wasn't right. What can I, what can I do? Or, you're, you're arguing with your four-year-old over vegetables. You know, it's it's time to pause. Is this, the four-year-old really doesn't understand about the vegetables. Is yeah. this the right argument to be having at this point in time? And, and sort of the, the class, and so I give, have, give examples from birth to, to uh, late teens in terms of what can help. Parents can sort of look at things, but it's not a complete how-to guide. I mean, you can't pick it up and say, "What is what happens when my child does this?" Um, no. But the one example I do give is one that say after school, mother picks up the child, goes through the drive-through, gets a nice big drink, and says, "Don't spill this." You know, two two miles down the road, mom, my drink spilled. You know, your immediate answer is just you pull over and you're ready to <laughs> just really get yes. angry and start the cleanup uh, process. Um, well, what happened was when you took that one turn, the book bag knocked, the, knocked the drink over. Uh, so if you had paused, assessed, maybe the, maybe the path you've chosen would have been a little different than just yelling and screaming and starting the cleanup mess and making your child feel, feel bad. Now, it still might have been the child's problem, uh, but rather than fly off the handle, let's think about the responses that will make more sense and be more positive going forward. Mm -hmm. Because remember, one of the big things about discipline is people sometimes equate discipline to punishment. I don't like that. The root word for discipline is disciple, which means to teach. So the whole point of discipline should be a teaching experience. Now, there's times when you're going to, I mean, your child might do something life-threatening, might yes. run away from mom's arms or dad's arms and not into traffic. Well, that, you know, that's a life-threatening thing. And there's going to have to be a, a response. Yeah. Uh, but most of the time uh, it's that pause, assess, and choose uh, and try to uh think in the moment, how could I have, what can I do now? And then in retrospect, if I didn't do as well as I could have, what could I do differently? Um, I like to use the example of, um, and I don't, I don't say this to pat myself on the back, but it's one of those things where when I think my child was seven or eight and he did something I didn't like one night and I yelled at him. Well, he just turned into a puddle um, and I felt badly. And my wife got mad at me for yelling. And then we went into one of those family meltdown modes where mm-hmm. nobody talks for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we finally, things settled down. And I went, put my son to bed and I said, son, I'm so sorry. I, you did something I did not think was right. But dad was so inappropriate. And I really want to apologize because my response was total was totally wrong. Uh, and we're in this together. And he said, dad, would you be quiet? I said, I hate it when you're nice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: So I'd like to think that I was doing this whole idea of conscious parenting was has been brewing uh, for a while and sort of uh, a lot of things came out in terms of, you know, my whole writing journey and my leadership journey and all of those things have led to this uh, nugget that I call Conscious parenting using the parental awareness threshold.
0: Well, and it takes a lifetime of experience to to be able to guide, you know, those that are not as experienced as, you know, as you are and being able to grant them that experience through your writing and so forth is giving, as you say, giving back to the community. Here, this is what I've been through. This is what I see works, uh, doesn't work. And, you know, here's some solutions. Here's some options. Here's some ideas. Here's some things to consider. You know, as you said, you're not writing a how-to book. This is not like do X, Y, Z and get X, Y, Z, you know, results. (laughs) Um, There is no such thing for parenting because everybody's situations are so different. And, you know, you throw in emotions and, and our own baggage from how we were parented, you know, there, it would, it, I don't think you could write a, you know, this is how you do it, kind of a book. <laughs> so, I like that you have offered solutions. So, that yeah,
1: is- and that's it. And I mean, one of the um, one of the plays I dearly love is uh, Dear Evan Hansen, um, and uh, it just came out in a movie. But at the at the end, I realized that one part of my role, especially as a physician and counselor in many ways is to gent- just gently peer behind the curtain and see what I can do to be of some assistance yeah. instead of rip it back and say, this is what you need to do. Uh, yeah. Um, and so my, uh, that, that has in many ways, I mean, that's been a journey for me. I mean, when you come out, when you come out of medical school and you come out of training in your early years, you sort of, you know it. I mean you know every um uh, and uh, and then you realize no there's there's lots of different
0: <laughs> variations <laughs> on a theme
1: here uh, and how can i i mean even though I consider myself a parenting expert, oftentimes my interactions in the office everyone has to be a little different as yes. I try to see see how I can impart some of that wisdom, if you will uh into the uh parental things, and I realize. That's a process, too, that I have for a lot of the families that I've dealt with uh, in the years, uh, in the years past. uh, It's been them establishing trust in me and me establishing trust in them to be able to give them information that they felt comfortable with. Uh, I retired the end of last year, which was which was a very difficult process because uh, the relationships one forms as a pediatrician are uh, indeed significant bonds. Um, And uh, so, uh, but I continue continue to be active. And it's interesting that my first title, my children's children was purposely sort of, uh, my children's, my first, my children's children would be my grandchildren.
0: Right.
1: The second level of my children's children would be all the children that I've cared for. My third level of my children's children is all the children that I've advocated for uh, over the years. Um, so I'd like to think that what I've, you know, that I've worked in the clinic, I've worked in the community, I've worked in the state, I've worked in the nation, uh, tried to be an advocate at so many on so many different levels. And that's why I continue to write some of the blogs that you read uh, on my website. Uh, some of those are might be more what people would consider to be social activism and some of that's where my thoughts are these days.
0: Mhm. And you brought up trust and trust is so important in both directions and if you you know if you didn't have the experience and the way you present your your knowledge you know in, in these books as instead of a, as a solution or a guide Uh, versus a how-to that helps build that trust because you're not sitting up on a pedestal going, yep, you got to do it this way. You got to do it that way. And, you know, there's no, uh, there's no force. It's like a, wait a minute. Okay. So if I do this, there's contemplation, you know, you provide that. So if I do this, I could see the, how that would work, or if I do that, mm, you know, Willie, you know, little Willie in the back seat, you know, who just dumped over the soda. Would that really, would that really do for him? You know i my sister and I are polar opposites. My sons were polar opposites in in behavioral and and reaction and all of that, and what one works for one child most certainly did not work for the other child and, <coughs> excuse me, and having those you know uh cool calm, and collected solutions I'll word it that way is very beneficial for the parent who's like. Help me. <laughs> so,
1: well, and there, um, I guess, some of the signposts I've learned for trust along the way are one is truth. Yes. You have to be telling the truth.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: um, um, two is humility. You have to be mm-hmm. humble to know when you don't know the answer. Yes. Uh, because you might not know all the answers, but you, you can, uh, just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean you can't render an opinion so long as they understand that that's your best guess at the time. Uh, three is sincere. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then the last one is probably one of the most difficult ones for most of us is the willingness to be vulner- vulnerable, vulnerability. Yeah. Um, that's that's <laughs> tough because that's it just not, that's, but I think that's one of the, the, and unfortunately that's just not something that our political climate allows uh, is vulnerability Not
0: but really it's what right. defi-
1: if what's it's what defines the human existence um and um uh, so uh at least in interpersonal relationships we need to be willing to to recognize that yes. uh, and express that
0: yes so let's kind of go back to uh, writing your books. What was your writing process for this? Were you someone who sat down and and worked on it every day? Or are you, when you had 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, <laughs> how did you write your books? <laughs> well,
1: the, well, the first 160 op-ed articles that I wrote, I usually composed in my head when I was walking our little shih tzu oh. in the mornings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, so when I, I would, I would, then I would uh, get to work and so my lunch break, I would write it all out and, uh, and compose them then. So I had the, had those 160. And then when I finally decided to turn it into a book, I took all that material and figured out how to collate it. I actually did uh, get the services of a, of a uh, editor uh, to help me do that. Um, And then and self-published it
0: okay and so you self-published um did what were some of the things that that you found to be beneficial in regards to self-publishing
1: well you can get it out there but then nobody's going to buy it
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is a yeah I mean trying
1: to trying to, trying to get the message out there is just a uh uh without hiring some costly um uh, publicist marketing person um is uh it just it just went nowhere basically i mean i uh i tried as much as much as i could and then we did the children's book we self published the children's book um um that was a painful process initially because one of the self publishing companies that I worked with <clears throat> did we did not like so we had to change to a different one. Um so the last book I did this hybrid arrangement okay. uh, where um the uh they put the book together they did the um the final editing uh they did the uh, I paid a price for that they did some initial marketing uh, and publicity, uh, and but still the bulk of that has been left up to me. Uh, and the book initially launched March, 2020. Uh, that might ring a bell as the date that the country shut down uh, from the pandemic. Yeah. So all my best attempts at setting up publicity uh, and interviews and everything else went completely for naught. Uh, so I'm in the process of trying to regenerate uh, some enthusiasm, essentially relaunch uh, the book. But even that's been difficult. Again, um, you know, I went through the process of seeing, of looking at various marketing firms and that sort of thing, and the and the and the five figure price tags just did not seem uh, like it would be worth the return on investment. Uh, So I I don't know how to get the message out as best I can other than this podcast process here initially and hoping that uh, I can catch lightning in a bottle in some way, shape, or form.
0: There you go. I like how you word that. And yes, March 2020 changed everything for everyone. And yeah, you can't go out, you know, for, well, now you can. Uh, we've been able, well, depending on what state you're in, um, you know, go out and do the book signings and stuff like that. So you, that was a huge disadvantage because you couldn't go out and be in person and shake that hand of, of that father who's looking at your book going, hmm, wonder if this will help me. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're not able to be, there is something about being face to face. With yes. with your readers, with your audience, and the fact that you're, you know, you're out there, you're doing the podcast, you're doing the, the television interviews and so forth. Um, for one, I, I want to state, you are much more courageous than I am, because I'm not sure I could do that. Because <laughs> again, you know, that vulnerability thing... <laughs> because I do this I do this nervous giggle thing oh, a lot and I think if I was to actually be in front of a television camera I, that's all I would do is I would just be a puddle of giggling goo <laughs> you know so um and it's much easier for me to be on this side of a podcast microphone you know to to ask the questions versus being asked the questions Um, so I do want to acknowledge that you have a lot of courage for going out there and making yourself vulnerable to, because you don't know what kind of questions you're going to be asked. Nobody has that script of, these are the questions you're allowed to ask me. (laughs) So you might get caught off guard and go, Oh, wow. How do I answer that one? (laughs) So, but Yes, marketing has definitely had to take a pivot for not only authors, but anybody who's trying to get a message out there in whatever shape or form. And there's a lot of people who have turned to social media, but then there's a lot of people who are turning away from social media because of the fact that they don't want to see the anger that's been out there and, or, you know, whether it's, uh, well, just pick a topic. There's just a, a tremendous amount of conflict out there. And, and ironically, in a podcast I recently recorded, social media got brought up and it was turning it around that looking at some of these things as not being harmful but what is the positive what am i what is the reinforcement that is brings me joy and that is i go on social media to look up you know like my grandsons if my daughter-in-law has posted pictures of my my babies or how my friend is doing i've got a friend who's very ill right now so i keep checking her her page to see how she's doing because she's um not in she's not able to uh you know communicate real well so someone else is doing the messaging and you know flipping it around. Um so it would be interesting to explore what are some of the helpful and positive ways for marketing and getting her books out there and and getting our messages out there. It, it's going to be interesting to see how all of this pans out.
1: You, you also asked about the writing process. I mean, I have a, a, a I have a current pro, current project that I've sort of, uh, my timeline was to write it during 2020. And here I am near the end of 2021 and it's still sort of languishing. Uh, I, I, uh, convince myself, I rationalize that that's okay, that uh, everything has changed in the last year and a half. Yes. Um, but I now realize that I, until I sort of fully retire, cause I'm very much engaged in a lot of children's advocacy issues, um, uh, that until I fully retire, I really just need to sort of let things flow. And before I really, uh, I, I mean, I have a good outline. I've written several chapters, um, uh, but I'm not ready to really sit down and give it all the oomph it's, it needs right now. It's entitled what really matters. Um, and it's uh, it's sort of, again, sort of some experiential things that i put together that I think sort of defined what real, what really matters.
0: And what I have found in my experience with helping clients with, their books, or friends that are writers that are are working on their book, and, and when they have that, that pause, it's because they haven't experienced what they're to write about. And yes, be gentle on yourself about that, because the more you push to do it, as you know, what happens? You gain more resistance and more frustration and then then your desire to do just kind of melts away and but when you put that twist on that says wait a minute maybe i haven't experienced what this book is really about or, or i haven't gained that insight maybe it's not even that you experience it maybe you haven't gotten that insight yet that once it comes, that pen is not going to stop. Your, you know, your finger tap dance on the, on the keyboard it will not stop. You'll just be there and consumed and, and, you know, putting that material down. So.
1: Yeah, I, you're right. And I, and I continue to realize that experiencing is also so much of experiencing is, is, is reading and that's the one thing that I've been able to do since retiring is, is read more. Uh, and uh, so, and that material that realizes is going to be impactful on, on my, on, in, on my project. So I'm, uh, I'm soaking all that in uh, and processing it.
0: Well, and the one thing that you, you continue to mention, you know, like when you were talking about the line above and below the line and above the line is learning and that is something that you have brought up uh numerous times throughout this conversation is be willing to learn and you know at the end of life, we still don't know it all um you know i i I think we're here to to expand our knowledge and and so forth and to experience different aspects of life, but we're not supposed to be that know-it-all
1: <laughs> well and when I retired I wrote a, uh, a blog piece about what's it mean for a pediatrician to retire um, and you can that means you don't have to go to the office but you never withdraw uh, you never withdraw from uh, community engagement you never withdraw from children's advocacy because right. that's part of that's part of the DNA of being a pediatrician um, and so that very much still, uh, consumes me uh plus i still haven't figured out this retirement gig uh completely <laughs> so i'm i'm still working on that one
0: <laughs> well you know in in a way the the pandemic helped you just because you know you stayed home more <laughs> than uh and uh than you would have uh you know so it's kind of that catch twenty two um. Yeah, the pandemic has taught many of us how to sit idle, kind of, sorta, but not really. <laughs> it tested our va uh, our ability to sit yeah. idle. I should word it that way. <laughs> so, uh, where can people find out more about you, your books? So what is your website?
1: My my website is mychildrenschildren.com. dot com. Um, very very simple. Um, and it has information about me, has information about all the books, has, uh, sort of my ongoing blog post, um, uh, and, um, uh, uh, and the other, uh, press engagements that I've, that I've done in inter- interviews and, and that sort of thing. Try to put all of that there. Um, and it's, that's been a, that's been interesting to help with that because I am not very, I'm not tech savvy at all. So whenever it comes time to uh, upgrade that, I always have to reach out for help.
0: (laughs) And I understand. So is there anything that you would like to add to the conversation before we we wrap up our time together?
1: Well, I think that, again, to me, the, the goal of parenting is raising good citizens. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When I was a, when I was a youngster, when my parents divorced, I remember my mom saying, Bob, I just want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy. Um, And, uh, and, you know, I could have simply done that uh, in a very selfish way. Fortunately, she set the example that I didn't. um, And she showed how to, to reach out and help, help others. Um, So if, to my mind, if if parents set the example and be good as citizens and raise good citizens, happiness is a secondary effect. Yeah. Now that's a, sort of a simple way of looking at it, but I I think that's the primary goal rather than than setting the goal for be happiness.
0: I like that. Yes. Happiness is a side effect. It's not the destination.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, whether you're a person of faith or a person of no faith, I think the same tenets apply. Yes. Uh, be, a good, be a good person, help others, care for others, be a good citizen. Uh, and uh, happiness will be a, a, a nice side effect.
0: Yes. Well, Bob, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me here in the pen to paper press podcast studio as you can see it's (laughs) it's comfortable (laughs) and uh thank you thank you oh thank
1: you this has been my pleasure i've really enjoyed it
0: i have too i i have too thank you before we end our time together we'd like to say thank you for listening to my conversation with bob saul to access his website and purchase the books he has written Visit pen2paperpress.com backslash podcast and select the show notes page for this episode. To receive future episodes in your inbox, subscribe to the newsletter and subscribe on your favorite podcast application. You are invited to share your favorite episodes on social media and with individuals who will resonate with the content. The intention of Pen to Paper Press podcast is to reinforce that our words have power and our stories matter. To share this important message, I created several mug designs for you to choose from with my artwork. These are perfect for enjoying your favorite beverages when listening to this podcast series. You will find an array of products available for purchase at pen to paperpress.com/store. Take care, and until next time, keep your pen to paper and write. Your words have power, and your story matters. Bye for now.